trading in futures products entails significant risk of loss, which must be understood prior to trading and may not be appropriate for all investors. Please contact your account representative for more information on these risks. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Markets and other stuff, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff podcast. Here's your host, Joe Baklovic. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Grain Markets and Other Stuff. Thank you for joining me. Uh, we have a guest today. Uh, Steve Johnson is a retired um, farm management specialist with Iowa State Extension. And um, a lot of you uh, know Steve or have probably seen some of Steve's work. Uh, Steve, thank you for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Again, we're going to cover the same thing I've been doing for the last 21 years. Crop insurance, government farm programs, but more importantly, crop marketing. So my main goal in having Steve on today was to kind of dispel, I think, some of the myths associated with crop insurance and how it relates to grain marketing. Um, Before we get started, I wanted to show you guys this. We're not going to get too much into um, the the real fine details here, like the ARC versus PLC election, um, some of the uh, uh, more nuanced type stuff. What I would recommend that you do, uh, if you have not listened to these podcasts already, my friend Chris Barron, he has a podcast called The Ag View Pitch, and Chris has been here on the show with me before. Um, he did a very detailed, actually two episodes with Steve very recently um, on the ARC versus PLC election and then on some of the more complicated matters. So we're not going to get too much into that stuff here today. So I wanted to preface this by saying that if you haven't listened to those, uh, you should certainly go and do that. But I've got some kind of more broad-based stuff, I guess, that I want to talk to uh, with Steve. Steve, first, can you, I know a lot of people know who you are and have listened to you talk before, but tell us a little bit about uh, what your work consisted of with the university and what you're doing now. Sure. Um, I joined Iowa State University Extension in 1999 as a farm management specialist in central Iowa. So I'm not on campus. I was responsible for 12 counties, and those were traditional farm management types of programs. But I have always had an interest in crop marketing. I was a lender of the 80s. I went back to graduate school. I worked in private industry, finished my PhD. And this is where my gift is, is being able to take something that maybe some call complicated, uh, ARC PLC, crop insurance products, the new one, SEO, ECO, and then combining those with the marketing tools. And I'm a big proponent of the importance of having a crop marketing plan Mm -hmm. and understanding how all the tools work, not just saying, I'm just going to forward cash contract my insurance bushels, or I'll just buy put options. The answer is you've got to weave your own risk management plan, especially for 21. We're at the highest old crop prices in six years. We're going to have high guarantees because crop insurance coverage and premiums are determined in the month of February from those simple Mm -hmm. average prices for December corn and November soybeans. So 21 could be a home run for a lot of your viewers today, but sitting on the sidelines is not a good strategy, I believe, for 21. You've got to be very proactive and you better be active in February because you've got a March 15th deadline both the ARC PLC program at the local FSA office, as well as finalizing crop insurance decisions with your crop insurance agent, you're down to just a little over five weeks. 
So tell me a little bit about um, what you believe farmers are going to be able to lock in via crop insurance in terms of revenues. I mean, it sounds like as long as these prices hold up through the month of February, there's going to be some pretty darn good opportunities available, much better than what we've seen the last five, six years. Yeah, using revenue protection, using your farm-based actual production history. So these are farm-based products. We're looking at 80 to 85% level of coverage, 450 to $500 an acre on soybeans. Corn, for the first time in six years, we're going to be around $700 an acre. I mean, farmers are going to basically be able to say, you know what, it cost me $650 an acre to grow an acre of corn, but I can guarantee $700 in revenue. And it's because of the way crop revenue protection works. So again, exciting year that I can weave my own safety net, create a high guarantee, and then sell in to these high prices because we're going to have high revenue guarantees and we're going to have high prices, I believe, at least in this first half of this calendar year. So given the fact that farmers are going to be able to lock in these high revenue levels, where does a farmer start with his new crop marketing? Okay, you start in three areas. Number one, your break even, not the universities. You gotta know your, your know your own numbers, right? <laughs> You've got to know your costs. And that's exactly when we when I had Chris on, that's exactly what we talked about. Yeah, by by, by crop, by crop rotation. Let me give you an example. Iowa State released their numbers and I memorized them. It's three thirty-one a bushel for corn. It assumes um, the thirty year trend yield for the state of Iowa, which is two hundred and one bushel an acre. Corn following soybeans and, and 184 bushel an acre corn following corn. Um, so corn following soybeans, 331. All right. Now, when we look at soybeans, the number is 894. Start there. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I would have told you, hey, how'd you like to make 70 cents a bushel on corn? Whoa, what year would that be besides 12 and 13? 21. How would you like to make $2 a bushel on soybean? What year? 21. That's the excitement that's coming. You can sell into these because if you've got crop revenue protection, you're guaranteed that simple average futures price. Mm -hmm. So you can split the pot, create delivery bushels, the bushels I'm comfortable delivering. From my talk, talk about talk about those definitions, that, uh, delivery bushels versus non-delivery bushels. That's the key. Delivery bushels are bushels that I'm willing to commit via likely forward cash contract or hedge to arrive. Mm-hmm. I call those my insurance bushels. Separate your insurance bushels. All right, let's take 80% level of coverage. I'll make this simple. I'll take 80% and my farm-based APH is 200. 80% of 200 is 160. Uh, I'm guaranteed 160 bushel an acre, and I'm guaranteed whatever that simple average price is in February, and let's say it comes in around 440. Oh my gosh, I've got over $700 an acre revenue guarantee. Those bushels, those 160 bushel, a portion of those can be committed to delivery because of the way revenue protection works. And you say, well, what if the price goes higher? That's what I'm afraid of. Great. Because if the October average for December corn and November soybeans is higher than the February average, I get to use the October numbers. So 
I can sell into these rallies. And if the market goes higher, just like it did last October, I create a higher revenue guarantee. I still have to multiply my actual production, my actual yield times the higher of, but I multiply it times the harvest price and subtract it. So I, I call it, I get my cake and eat it too with revenue protection. I get a guaranteed price that determines my revenue guarantee and my premium. And then if the price goes higher in October, I get a higher revenue guarantee, but I still have to subtract my actual yield times that harvest price. It's worked that way for 21 years. It's going to work that way for several more years. This is nothing new. It's called revenue protection. We're leaving the harvest price on. Then when you um, when you said that, you said, okay, we've got a spring price, then we've got a fall price. The thing that immediately popped into my head was that barring 2020, you know, in the five or six years prior, our highs in the market have come during the summer um, on weather issues. Those have been some of your best marketing opportunities. How do you navigate that? How do you, how do you, how do you, uh, as a farmer, um, get yourself prepared to price those bushels on a summer rally? Remember, I said there were three components. Number one, break even. The other two are just as important. Mm -hmm. Cash flow. Do you need money in the fall and the winter months? The fact that you hedge those bushels, you buy put options, you still got to convert them into cash. Mm-hmm. All right. So you've got to consider what your cash flow needs are. And, and am I going to deliver those deliverable bushels and in, in harvest and the gut shot of harvest with that really weak basis? Or can I deliver them early, especially in 21, where there's probably going to be some basis plays or maybe post harvest? So one was break even. Two was your cash flow needs. Three was what is your on-farm storage capacity? Mm-hmm. I sure don't want to get caught with a bunch of unpriced bushels at the co-op or elevator. I think you've got to build your market plan and especially those deliverable bushels, the, the, my crop insurance, my guaranteed bushels. I think you build those around delivery, likely forward cash contract, HTA, Probably using December corn, November beans. We don't have, again, much carry now in either the, the, the corn or the soybean market for next January beans or, or March. But then possibly rolling those contracts from November beans to January if I've got a place to store them. So we get into all sorts of different plays, and it's not that much different from, you know, your clients that are trying to figure out where to hedge, you know, uh, when to, you know, buy those put options. So I like personally working with the delivery bushels first and getting those bushels priced, making sure I'm guaranteed my cash flow needs for next fall and winter, making sure I don't have a bunch of unpriced bushels that are going to have to go to commercial storage. But I like those three steps. And if you can separate delivery bushels, my crop insurance bushels, and then probably don't commit more than 50, 60, 70% of your insurance bushels. So take an 80 or 85% product, government's paying probably 55 to 65% of the premium. That's how revenue protection works. But I do like making those delivery bushels and making those sales early. In fact, I, I just did webinars last week and the question was, how much of my new crop, 21 crop corn and soybeans should I have priced? 
if you're using revenue protection, I have no problem having 50% of my bushels priced at these simple average in January. I mean, I, I think we're going to look back and go, holy smokes, was that a deal? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I don't think we're going to just suddenly put this market under pressure. But again, we're at return on investments, 20 to 25% on corn and soybeans. You, <laughs> I mean, it's like we haven't been able to do this since 13. Yeah, it's, it's definitely going, it's shaping up to be one of the best years we've seen in a long time. And, and a lot of farmers are probably going to listen to this and say, being half sold on new crop is, is nuts. That's way too aggressive. But you would, you would disagree based purely on the numbers. Well, I'm basing it on the fact is that I have no margin calls. Yep. Whoever bought those bushels from me has got the margin calls if the price yep. goes higher. Absolutely. And the fact is, is I'm going to be guaranteed the simple average. I'm I'm using 440 for December corn mm -hmm. and 1140 for November soybeans. So uh, the fact is, I'm I'm guaranteed that price. And if we blow higher, like we did in 20 or we did in 12, great. I just get a higher revenue guarantee. So I have no problem having 40. 50% of corn and soybeans already priced, committed to delivery. The biggest risk you have is basis. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, is that if we ever have a, a, a positive basis because you're collecting crop insurance at futures price and there's another risk, you need to plant the crop. So if you're in a flood zone, you're farming the rivers or the creeks, be careful getting this aggressive because you only collect on revenue protection 55% of your guarantee for corn if you take prevented planting for soybeans, 60%. Mm -hmm. So especially, you know, those farms that are, you know, uh, up in the northern plains or, you know, the northern corn belt, maybe you don't get that aggressive. But if you know you've got the opportunity to plant this crop in 21, I don't have any problem of, you know, being up here 50% uh, sold. I, I'd like to think I'm above war. I think the futures prices are going to come in for crop insurance, the spring price. Again, I'm thinking we're going to be around that 440 for corn and 1140 for soybeans. And um, I just think we're going to say, you know what? This feels really good. You wait till my lender understands that I understand crop insurance. There's the touchdown right there. Mm-hmm. Most lenders, they don't understand. They just know you need to take this crop insurance. And and I think making sure that we are building knowledge with our crop insurance agent, and then we're sharing that back with our lender and, and our market advisor. You know, we've had 21 years to figure out how these crop insurance products work. And, and revenue protection works very well, especially with pre-harvest marketing and delivery bushels. Hey, Steve, talk a little bit about just how absolutely phenomenal the government subsidy is when it comes to crop insurance. I, I don't know if everybody realizes just how tremendous it is. Yeah, you know, basically your very best government program is subsidized crop insurance. Mm -hmm. Again, it depends on the product. Uh, and I'm talking revenue protection. I'm leaving the harvest price on. I'm not taking the harvest price off. A typical uh, Corn Belt farmer, they probably are making a decision. Let's say it's 80% level of coverage on that 200 bushel an acre APH, 160 bushel an acre guaranteed. Um, that product at uh, enterprise units, and here comes the crop insurance lingo, uh, I'm putting mm -hmm. all my cornfields together. That product probably cost uh, around uh, $75, and the government's probably paying 
60% of that. So the farmer's paying 30 bucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and the government's paying forty-five, and, and and the farmer never sees the the the, the premium, and never pays income tax on it. They don't get a ten ninety-nine at the end of the year. And uh, here's my line: uh, you know, you take it away from farmers, and there will be a protest in Washington D.C. Farmers just assume that They're, it's just a given. Uh, and there's where you've got to figure out how to leverage this. You know, if somebody paid, you know. 60% of your premium for your auto or your home or your farm uh, or your, uh, you know, life, you would load up. Absolutely, I would. What? I, I'm i going to take a lot of insurance because mm-hmm. the government's pants, like, it's like the free money you've been chasing, you know, MFP and, and CFAP1 and CFAP2. The fact is, is that crop insurance allows you to weave your own safety net. And, and then you don't have to be as dependent. Because you've got these crop insurance products. They've been there, like I said, you've had 21 years to figure them out. And a lot, I believe, Joe, is the fact that, you know, we just got some crop insurance agents that aren't good educators. And so we've got to make sure that we are in tune with how crop insurance works. But revenue protection is a great product. It allows us to commit bushels to delivery. And then I can still come in and hedge and I can buy put options. And let's pull up that second slide, if you would, and and make sure that, you know, we understand that there's products that are out there. Uh, well, let's look at this one first. This is the the first slide that I sent. This is how it works. Simple math. All right. And I don't know your APH, but let's say it's around 190 bushel an acre. And most everybody takes the TA, trend adjusted yield. And, and so I'll just be simple, 190. And then you've got to make a decision by March 15th. And, and that decision at least in most of the Corn Belt, 80 to 85% level of coverage. Most mm-hmm. farmers in in the heart of the Corn Belt, they just take 80 to 85%. They don't get cute. You know, they know the government's probably up there around that 60, you know, 70% if they're in enterprise units and probably 50 to 60% if they're in optional units. Optional enterprise, those are important decisions to make sure you know how those work. But look at the math. Take your APH, and this is on each farm, so I'm just averaging these across uh, your corn fields. You take the 190, you multiply it times 80%, mm-hmm. you're, you are guaranteed 152 bushel an acre. Mm-hmm. Those are your delivery bushels. You can see, you can flow through this. I can use forward so that's, cash contracts. That's a real very basic definition of how we define delivery bushel. That's it illustrated right there. That's, that is illustrated on that right side. Look at it. Yep. On the yep. left side's the math. Mm-hmm. I'm guaranteed $669 an acre. And my premium is based on that simple average of December corn futures in the month of February. That's why your agent doesn't know your premium until that first week of March and why you need to make any changes by March 15th. And Joe, this is going to be a tough year because most of the agents are working from home and dependent upon your email and phone calls, it could get pretty crazy. But look at the right side. I'm guaranteed 152 bushel an acre. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, don't ha- I don't have to buy uh, puts on all those bushels. I don't have to hedge all those bushels and I can deliver a major part of those. So let's just say you take a hundred. All right. You're guaranteed 152 and you're going to commit to delivery a hundred bushel an acre because you don't have adequate on-farm storage or you've got cash flow needs in the fall and winter. 
I mean, this is a great opportunity to say, that's okay. I'll go ahead and I can forward cash and do some hedge to arrive and I'll commit those bushels to delivery because I've either got the bushels or I'm going to get this crop insurance indemnity check. Mm-hmm. And I can get it in the fall if I want. So if I get hailed out, there's zero production. I mean, I just, I didn't, I planted the crop, I didn't produce it. Guess what? You're going to get a check for about $669 an acre because mm-hmm. you were not able to produce a crop as long as it is God types of events. So if it's mm-hmm. hail or wind or green snap. And so I just, I think this slide, and I've been using it for 15 years, and I'm sorry that you've not seen this slide before. That's how it works. And so you build a marketing strategy and that marketing strategy is built around crop insurance and revenue protection. Okay. Now let's go to that next slide because I believe I I just put this together, Joe, when you uh, called and said, well, Steve, how does, how does these delivery bushels work with, you know, hedging and put options? And there you go. Well, it was and a I'm very not- it was a very common question from customers. <laughs> so I did this ep- I did this episode um, a few weeks ago, and it was it was just like put option basics, right? Yep. How to buy it, like the most elementary course you could possibly put together. And one of the big questions that that or one of the comments that I had from it had to have been fifteen or twenty different people said, "Why would I pay for a put option when crop insurance?" provides me a put option. And and that's kind of, that was kind of like the whole basis for me uh, asking you to come on was, was to answer that question. Uh, but it, it, it got a little bit more involved in that, but it's, it's a really, it's, it's a relevant question that a lot of people were like, what do I, what's the deal here? You know, I agree. And, and, you know, I, I could be real snide and, and I could say something like, well, because the government isn't paying for 60% of my premium of that put option, but mm-hmm. they don't, work the same that that buying that put option you know on a portion of those bushels um they don't work the same and that's because i don't have delivery of bushels that i'm buying put options on Mm -hmm. I, i don't have delivery of bushels that i've hedged i think maybe the key is separating delivery bushels insurance bushels from those bushels that are non-delivery mm-hmm. and then understanding that, Hey, if the government wants to pay for most of my crop insurance premium, let them. And then I can commit a portion of those bushels to delivery. And then the bushels that I don't feel comfortable delivering, I can still hedge and I can still buy put options. And in essence, uh, this visual creates a couple what ifs? Number one, what deductible are you willing to take? You know, in my earlier example, it was 20% deductible, 80% revenue protection coverage. All right. There's a couple new products, and this is where I've spent most of my winter, SEO, supplemental coverage, ECO, mm-hmm. uh, enhanced coverage option. Uh, those are relatively new, and those are available. Those are both in play for 21, and there's the importance of listening to the other podcast that Chris and I did last week. Mm-hmm. And I talk about supplemental coverage option, all right, and, and enhanced coverage option. Those are county-based products. They are added on to the top of your existing revenue protection. In fact, most of my webinars, I use a coffee cup. 
And I say, you know, you take 80% and you fill the coffee cup up to 80% revenue protection. All right. And then you decide, do you need a lower deductible? Well, you can buy SEO or ECO. But this is why I think crop insurance, when we're down to five weeks, five and a half weeks to make a decision, I would not want to back these into March. I -hmm. would want to be talking to my crop insurance agent now. And I think all of those, when we look back, I think we're going to say, you know, January, February, and March, those are really critical months. And we didn't have traditional meetings. And boy, I built a lot of knowledge. You know, I, I, I went to Joe's, you know, YouTube video and I listened to the podcast. And that doggone guy from Iowa State, I don't know where he came from, but I didn't know these delivery bushels mm-hmm. were different than the non-delivery bushels. I never thought about splitting my bushels. I thought they were all the same. That visual is brand new Sunday night. And I'm doing nine webinars in the next two weeks. And so feel free to email me at at sdjohns at iestate.edu and i can tell you that i'm doing these for rain and hail one of Mm -hmm. the 15 approved insurance providers and you know as i thought about putting these together i thought you know so where are most farmers at that was the visual that was missing joe i had the others together 15 years ago yeah that was missing when you called and i thought joe i think i've got a powerpoint slide that's a pie chart And so the crop insurance is, what am I willing to accept as a deductible? Do I need to add a county-based endorsement like SCO or ECO? And then how many of these bushels, my APH bushels, my actual production history, my 10-year simple average times my level of coverage. I used 80, but you can pick 65, 70, 75, 80, 85%. Try to weave your own safety net. Don't just trust your crop insurance agent knows. Mm-hmm. And this is not a tool that I like to make with my checkbook because Uncle Sam is paying for most of these premiums. That visual right there should be in a magazine article, and I, I didn't make it. I, I'm in Farm Journal in January. I'm in Successful Farming in February, and I'm sorry. I'll try to get this in the March issue, but that's exactly what's going on. Outside Arc PLC, there is that marketing example that you can break these bushels into delivery and non-delivery. Mm-hmm. So again, work with your crop insurance agent, work with your market advisor, work with your lender, and make sure you understand how all these pieces fit. So let me ask a couple um questions here. So on this slide, we have put options. You're you're essentially saying that a guy really only needs to look at downside coverage on non-delivery bushels, meaning that additional 15 to 20%, basically. I would say in general, that's true. Unless it's an operation that's a high cost, you know, uh, and they need as much price protection as they can. The reason that I'm slow to buy put options, and I know, you know, market analysts might disagree with this. I just don't like paying a lot of time value. Right. Sorry. You know, by wait until spring, uh, there's less time value mm-hmm. that I've got to pay in those put options. And, and the hedges, I'm not against those, but man, I just assume a hedge when I, I know that the likelihood is I'm not going to have to make margin calls. Right. So, Most growers are using the delivery bushels first because there's no margin calls Mm -hmm. and there's no time value of the premiums for those put options. 
and then coming back in and shoring up. So at least they're making sure they're selling above their break-evens with a return on investment. Like I say, most of these growers right now are kind of in that 20, 25%, you know, pre-harvest marketing uh, of new crop corn and soybeans. Mm -hmm. And then you can come back in and you hope that your uh, delivery bushels are the cheapest bushels you sell. But remember, cash flow and storage capacity. And I think those are all important, you know, break-evens and cash flow needs and storage capacity. A, a lot of growers need a lot of money in the fall and winter months. You know, crop insurance premiums are due October 1st. Mm-hmm. And so this idea, well, I'll just hedge. I'll just buy put options and, and you know, I'll, I'll buy crop insurance, but I'm not going to leverage it, you know, like Steve's talking. You know, nine times out of 10, that is a mistake. I think that when we look back – we want to take advantage of these types of prices, the uncertainty. This isn't about outlook. You notice Steve's not talked about outlook. He's talking about risk management. Well, that's the name of the game. I try not to do a, a ton of outlook really on, on this sort of stuff. You know, it's it's predicting prices and that sort of thing. That's a whole different conversation, of course. Yeah. In fact, I think it's the biggest limitation to real crop agriculture. Yeah. It is the fact that we spend I would agree. We spent the last six months just trying to outguess this market. And you know what, Joe, I'm thinking some of your listeners are going to spend the next six months doing the same thing. They're thinking that they're going to outguess the market, the Board of Trade. They're going to outguess the National Weather Service. And they're going to outguess, you know, uh, NAS and, and WASD. And it was like, guys, don't do that. Uh, the government is giving you a safety net that no other farmers in the world have. And it's crop insurance and it's subsidized. And notice I'm not into ARC PLC. I don't think we're going to collect on them in 21. Right. All right. So, but I think this is your safety net right here. This is the focus on $700 an acre corn, but I'm going to produce $800 an acre corn. You know, I guarantee a revenue of $500 an acre beans, but I'm going to produce a a $600 an acre Mm -hmm. crop. This is cool. And I think when farmers check off the box, when they understand this and they start to check off the box, then they can focus on production Mm -hmm. because farmers have trouble selling into these spring and summer rallies. They just lock up. These sales are likely already made or they're going to be made at these types of prices and then if the market wants to rally even more great i'll sell into that rally and 21 will probably be the best year i've had since 12 or 13 okay so let me i'm trying to think of questions that my customers or or viewers rather there's there's a lot more viewers than actual customers uh are going to ask and this is one of them so to go back up to this this uh first slide here um we're going to have that let's let's assume just for the conversation that 440 is going to be our our spring insurance mm-hmm. price right and you told me earlier you'd you'd be comfortable being at 50% sold why do i need to be 50% sold if i've got a 440 guarantee on those bushels why do don't, i need to be sold why do i need to be sold at all don't have to be i'm assuming a that your cost of production is down here around 330 340, mm-hmm. like the universities. B, I'm assuming you've got debt, that, mm-hmm. that you don't own everything free and clear. Okay. And you've got cash rent payments, and you've got family living, and you've got machinery and equipment, you've got land payments, you've got green bin payments. I'm assuming that you're trying to manage risk. So mm-hmm. I'm not talking to this guy that has no debt 
and no risk. Very few of those. I'm talking to those that are growing their farm operations Mm -hmm. and they're borrowing money and they're trying to put together a marketing plan so that the lender will stay with them. This is the key right here. This is the key. I want to get something sold with these types of price levels because the crop insurance is going to guarantee these levels. It can't go down. It can't go below 440. If we go to 540 in October, my revenue guarantee moves up. I'm not mm-hmm. at 669. I get a multiply of those 152 bushel times the October average. It's just like in 2012. You know, 2012 and 2013 were the highest net farm incomes in history. And those were not pretty production years. Those were not pretty production years. And you said, well, how did farmers make money? It was those high prices. And it was the fact that they guaranteed revenue. Mm -hmm. It was that in October of 2012, the prices peaked in August, but the crop insurance harvest price was $750. So if you sold any bushels, all right, if you'd oversold your bushels and corn was worth $6 cash, you got a check for $7.50 a bushel for any of those missing 152 bushel. That is cool. That is cool. And I'll be honest with you, Joe. I'm guessing half the farmers don't understand this revenue protection, which is the sad part. You know, 21 mm-hmm. years, half of them just don't understand that how this crop insurance works and how I can put that together as a part of a marketing plan. And then I can bring in hedges and I can bring in put options. I could sell 100% of my crop. Go back to that second slide. I could sell 100% of my crop. Now, I don't in this example. I'm not trying to create more risk. You know, but in this example, I sell 50% of my APH bushels. All right, just what I talked about. Not of my overall bushels because I've got a deductible. Uh, And then maybe I sell 10 or or 15 or 20% that I can hedge or that I can buy put options. I have a lot of farmers uh, in Iowa and Illinois and Nebraska that I work with. They'll probably have 100% of their crop priced. Really? By middle of July. And you go, oh, that's crazy. What if they don't people produce? That. The tools are there. I mean, only half of those are delivery bushels. Mm-hmm. You know, the other half are bushels that I can buy back on the board via hedge or, or the put option expires worthless. And so the fact is, is that I think we're underutilizing the marketing tools. But if you don't start with crop insurance, and a product that you've had since 2001, then I can see a lot of growers that are trying to outguess the market. So they hedge at the high price, they don't get margin calls, or they buy the put at the high price because the premium will be lower. And I'm like, why don't you use all of the above mm-hmm. and stop, you know, uh, and recognize that I'm not encouraging anybody to be 100% priced. But like I said, I think when you bring crop insurance revenue protection in and you truly understand how it works and you are building your knowledge uh, and you're probably educating your crop insurance agent in some cases. But the reality is, is the tools are there. It's not going to be ARC PLC. It's not going to be MFP, not going to be CFAP in 21. It's going to be crop insurance and it's going to be this ability 
to, to sell in to these prices and not try to outguess the weather or mm-hmm. outguess where the high is because we will never know. 30 days later, we'll go, holy smokes. Boy, that was pretty stupid. This is about the importance of having your own risk management plan. And given your example, so if a guy were to sell, say, half of, of those delivery bushels, there's still plenty of bushels to sell on a weather rally in the summer, for example, or in into some sort of, of bull market that we don't necessarily foresee or, or know about at this point in time. It's not like you're really totally locking yourself into one price here. Well, let's use let's use 50 percent of 152 bushel. All right. right. I 75 bushel I've committed to delivery. They're, mm-hmm. they're not going to be in my grain bin. All right. Uh, they're not going to be sitting at the co-op or elevator in the fall and winter. They're priced. I'm comfortable delivering those. Um, then I can play the basis games, especially if they're hedged to arrive. I'm probably going to be a little more aggressive using forward cash contracts because I'm a little cautious as to what basis might do if we grow these larger crops. Um, and the, the reality is, is I'm taking 75 bushel. I, I think I can produce 190. And, you know, in many of these farms, I could probably go 210 or 220 if the conditions are right. Mm-hmm. I'm just taking 75 bushel and I'm taking them away and, and I'm willing to commit those to delivery. That's exactly the strategy. Uh, 50% of your APH, I call these my crop insurance bushels. I'm guaranteed 152 bushel as long as the planter drops the seed in the ground. And I use good farming practices. Um, I'm guaranteed yield, I'm guaranteed price, I'm guaranteed revenue using revenue protection crop insurance. Let's talk about the guy who can can and will store all of his crop this fall. And, okay. and they're, out, they're out there and they're watching. Yep. Uh, w- how does your strategy change in that instance? Okay, great. Let's drive it back to one, two, three, break even. Let's drive it back to their cash flow needs. All right. And you already said they can store everything. Great. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, rather than uh, deliver those bushels at harvest, they could still use December corn futures. All right. And they could use a hedge to arrive contract. And when we get into October, November, they can decide, all right, when am I going to deliver those bushels? Let's say you snag a 460. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you're guaranteed 440. Okay. Great. HTA 460 ethanol plant. I'm in the corn belt. Okay. Uh, I know my futures price, uh, but I've got to deliver those bushels sometime this fall. There's the dialogue is is that I went ahead and sold 30,000 bushel uh, December corn futures, but I haven't fixed the basis. I haven't established exactly when those bushels are coming. Here comes the dialogue. It's October. I'm talking to my merchandiser at the ethanol plant. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, I've got 30,000 bushel I need to deliver to you, and I'm looking for some basis opportunities. Well, it's October. I bet it's not the best basis. And, and so the merchandiser might say, well, you know, I, I really could use those bushels, but I've got plenty at harvest. Why don't we roll that December to the March, okay? Uh, and, and I'm going to charge you two cents, but there's going to be some really good basis opportunities right. around Christmas and New Year's. We see that all the time in the Corn Belt. Mm-hmm. Nobody else wants to deliver. So there's that leverage. Um, I priced in the December, all right? 
I work with my merchandiser, though, and hedge to arrive. I work with my merchandiser at harvest. I rolled those 30,000 bushel because I've got grain bins and the corn's dry and I've got a lot more time to deliver them in December than I do in October. There's the play. And again, it takes some thought, takes some communication, but there would be an example. I'm, I'm doing the same thing. I'm, uh, those are delivery bushels. I just don't have to deliver them at harvest because I do have adequate on-farm storage. There's the advantage of having plenty of storage for these bushels. And again, I'm not making carry. I'm not going to make profit between the December and March, but I sure am going to have more basis opportunities post-harvest than I probably do right at the gut shot of harvest. And the guy who doesn't have to sell new crop bushels in advance for for cash flow purposes or whatever he essentially kind of has i mean everybody's really got the luxury to to wait and see what the better of the two crop insurance prices are but that that guy gets to do the same yep yep absolutely like i said i i think that if you have no debt and you want to take more risk but one of the biggest risks you're taking is not taking crop insurance Mm-hmm. And, and the fact is, is that when you think about this revenue protection, think about the livestock producer. Think about the guy that needs all his corn to feed hogs. Yeah. All right. And he, if we have high bean prices, we're going to have high meal prices. This revenue protection could be a part of the risk management strategy, even for the livestock operator trying to prevent excessively high crop prices. And so I like this idea. I mean, when these ideas were formulated in in the late 1990s, I want to credit those guys that came up with, we we called them revenue assurance, RA, or we called them, uh, uh, what do we call them? Crop revenue protection, crop revenue coverage, CRC, RA and CRC. I mean, since 01, All right. They morphed into revenue protection. But I got to applaud, you know, those people that had figured out how to create these crop insurance products that we get to utilize in 2021. Year number 21 of these products. Uh, Great tools. Again, we don't have to have ad hoc funding. We don't have to depend upon USDA. We don't have to depend upon the federal government because we've already got these built into the farm bill. They're going to be funded in 21 and 22 and 23. Hey, Steve, I want to thank you for coming on. And um, I'm going to direct anybody who has questions about any of this. Send me an email to info at standardgrain.com. I'll get it to Steve. We'll get you answers on anything that you have questions about. And uh, Steve, you mentioned something about the crop insurance agents becoming extraordinarily busy here. um, And we didn't quite touch on that. What would you recommend that a guy do to, to kind of get in front of that? I think in the next two weeks, you should be very focused on working with your local farm service agency office. Call them or email them. Get this ARC PLC out of the way. Um, The fact is there's an interaction. That supplemental coverage option product should not be purchased unless you are electing and enrolling in PLC. Call your crop insurance agent. Get ahead of this. If you've got questions on SCO or ECO, the premiums are going up. There's going to be sticker shock mm-hmm. because we've got prices that are roughly 10 to 15% higher for corn and 20% or higher for soybeans than they were last February. I think I want to be dialoguing with my crop insurance agent the first two weeks of February 
not the first two weeks of March. By March, I'm just confirming, yeah, let's move from optional to enterprise units or let's go ahead and pick up supplemental products like hail or wind or green snap or I'm going to go ahead and move from 80 to 85 or 85 to 80. I think that's when you finalize your decision, but you've got crop insurance agents that in many cases are working from home. You're going to have to be a good communicator because they're counting on your communication via phone or email. This is going to look like no other year we've ever had. And remember, Joe, March 15th, I call that March Madness because that's the deadline for ARC PLC and for crop insurance changes. And March Madness has nothing to do with college basketball. Very good. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Steve, thank you very much. That's Steve Johnson, retired uh, extension farm management specialist uh, from Iowa State. Uh, Steve, we'll talk to you again sometime soon. Guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Remember, if you have questions, again, uh, send me an email to info at standardgrain.com. If you're watching on uh, YouTube, you can drop a comment, and uh, I will be sure to get back to you. Uh, We'll catch you guys a little bit later. 